One of our missionaries, Benny Matthews, wrote a book called Passage to the Unreached. I want to read you something that he wrote. It says, it was November 11th, 1793. He could see the shoreline from the side of the boat. It had been a long and difficult five-month voyage at sea. As the distant landscape grew closer, the excitement grew in his chest as well. It had been years in the making, but William Carey was finally arriving in India. He had started out as a poor cobbler with a burden to take the gospel across the world. His peers and advisors rejected his vision and told him not to go. He had already been turned back once, but finally he was here. As Carey took his first steps in Calcutta, he could not have imagined the hardship that he would endure. He and his wife would lose two of their children to disease. His wife would suffer from delusion and paranoia and a few years later die. Carey would become destitute, depressed, and almost lost his own life to disease. Eventually, though, his faith and persistence was rewarded. Carey went on to establish a major church and develop a university. He translated the New Testament into 40 different languages. And it was for him and him alone that English Baptist Missionary Society was started. Millions of Christians in India owe their faith to Carey's efforts. Christian missions did not start with William Carey on that fateful day that he stepped out in faith in India. But William Carey and the movement he started marked a new era and an exciting era of missionary commitment by the church. It was the dawn of modern missions. I want you to think about how God uses people in the world today. You see, God has designed you and I in such a way that it is through our steps of faith that he is going to advance the kingdom of God. Do you know that? He's always chosen to use human beings. He's always chosen to use Christ's followers to advance the work that he is doing. But there's something that's required of each of us in order for that to happen. It's faith. We're told in 2 Corinthians that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. We're told in Hebrews 11:6 that without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please God. See, God designed it so that his whole kingdom would be advanced by those that would step out in faith. Now, I want you to know it's not just Christians that are to step out faith. There's something intrinsic that God has put within mankind for them to step out. We wouldn't have had Christopher Columbus step out and discover a new world if that wasn't there. There was a guy named Juan, uh, Juan Ponce de Leon in 1513 who stepped out from Spain. And guess what he was in search of? He was in search of the fountain and youth. And instead, what he found was a snake-infested place called Florida. We have people like Lewis and Clark who stepped out and when they stepped out, they discovered the great American wilderness that took them to the West Coast. They could have been reading about somebody else. They could have read about 
Stanley and, and Hank that went across the great American wilderness, but no, instead it was them. They stepped out. How about Neil Armstrong? Neil Armstrong is the one who stepped out of the lunar module called the Eagle. And when he stepped out, he said, that is one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. He could have been reading about somebody else. See, there is something intrinsic that God has put within each of us to step out. And I believe in the body of Christ, he's calling us to step out in faith. Now, here's the way he's designed us. Some of us are the kind of people that we take tiny steps, and that's okay. And some of us are made with this sense of adventure within our hearts where we want to take huge, monumental steps. We're, we're not accomplishing anything unless we meet, leave our mark in this world. And so this is what God has done. Often we look at heroes like William Carey, and we look at them in the, the line of the Apostle Paul all the way through Billy Graham and the alike. But please realize, William Carey was a poor cobbler who just took a tiny step of faith once he came to Christ. And it led him to being a pastor. And in that pulpit, he said things like, expect great things from God, expect to do great things for God. And then it eventually took him to India. See, someone doesn't get to the mission field to some other foreign land by just one huge monumental step. It's a lot of small steps that lead to that place. So where were your steps of faith take you? I want us to evaluate that this morning as we look at the passage of Scripture in Acts. I want us to evaluate for body on our second anniversary as we approach our third year this question. How are you stepping forward in faith? Because my friends, God has designed each and every one of us to do that. Now we're going to look at the book of Acts this morning, and what we're going to see in the book of Acts is that God used a lot of individuals to take small, tiny steps. Now please know that they weren't all willing. God had to push them out of the nest, which he often has to do with the likes of us, because we need prompted to be pushed out. But God used individuals to start the greatest missionary movement that is still going on today. The question is, how will God use you and I? Where, where will our steps of faith take us? I can't answer that for you. But what I can say is it's going to start with you and I saying, okay, God, give me the first step. Let's pray that God would use his word to touch our hearts this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go to your word, I pray that you would help us to understand what your word has to say to us. I pray, Father, that you would so be at work in our congregation this morning, that you would help us to see your heart, help us to see what it is that you want of us to be in an influence in this world. Lord, we don't want our glory. We want your glory. We don't want our success. We want your success. And I pray that it would completely be a void of us and all of you as you just use us as your humble servants. But Lord, you've talked to us about how we need to be passionately in love with you. You've talked about how we need to do this together in unity. But now, Lord, you want to see the results of faith in that we step out in faith. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we examine that. In Christ's name, amen. The start of this sermon, I'm going to review some of the things that we've covered the last three weeks. And so we're going to start with the command of the first step that God gave us. Now, you have heard this passage many, many times, but it is the command. Just before Jesus ascends, he gives the command to his disciples. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of what? Of all what? Nations. Of all nations, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you to obey. So this is what Jesus did. He gave this commission to all believers of all ages of all times. We can't debate it. It is there for us. And here is the reality. God has, he expects us to be on the move. He expects us to step out. And yet, the condition of the church is that many people are standing still. That's not a criticism. It's just a harsh reality of the evaluation of the church. And what God needs to do is sometimes come along and give us a kick in the butt so that we will get moving for Him. And so maybe the Holy Spirit will do that for us today. He wants us to step out. Now, what was the first step that took place in the New Testament? Well, we started a few weeks ago in Acts 1.8. It was the final words of Jesus. Remember what the final words of Jesus were? He said, but you, my disciples, my believers, my Christ followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, what Jesus was doing was giving a geographical roadmap to the body of Christ. He was saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to progressively go out. I am sending you out. But he did tell them this. He said, you're going to go once the Holy Spirit comes. Now, the Holy Spirit hadn't come. So in a sense, the Holy Spirit coming would be the start gun to the race, and they would continue to go out from that point on. And as we studied in the book of Acts chapter 2, we saw a mighty movement of God. We saw people coming to faith in Christ in mass amounts. We saw that people had a change of attitude where they were disunified before. They were now unified. They were selling their possessions. They were committed to the disciples' teaching. They were doing everything they could to, to help each other, to praise God, to worship together. And guess what? They had a boldness of proclaiming Christ like none other. He, they had a boldness of proclaiming Christ. There was truly a Jerusalem revival that was going on. Now, all of this was excellent. It was great. Now, fast forward to Acts chapter 8. A year, a little over a year since the Holy Spirit had come, guess what happened? The disciples were all still in Jerusalem. They were all hunkering together. They were enjoying the fellowship together. They were enjoying breaking bread. They were just, they had their holy huddle. And they loved it there. They loved being the comfort of being people in their community groups and the, their prayer groups. And they were all together. But what did Jesus tell them that they were to do? Go! You're going to be my witnesses to these places. Not just Jerusalem, but other parts of the world as well. And so God had to do something to kick them out of the nest. This is what it says in Acts 8.1. It says, 
on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, I want you to think about that. They had to lose their homes. They had to lose all their possessions. But God valued them going out more than their own personal possessions in order for them to be obedient. Please understand, we still serve the same God. God will do whatever he needs to do to accomplish his mission of us going forth and stepping out in faith. Now, here's what we learned from this. We have options. I love the fact that we have options. We have the option of the Acts 1-8 way. We can willingly go, or we have the option of Acts 8-1, where we are scattered. I personally would prefer the first option. I personally would like for us intentionally as a church to plan on people going out, plan on sending people to other places, other communities, other parts of the world, because that's what we're to do. Now, notice also that God did leave people in Jerusalem. Why did he do that? Because there was a church there. There were people that needed to be equipped. Jerusalem was not reached. There was a go. There was a stepping out of faith that still needed to take place in Jerusalem. So don't, don't think that we're, uh, we're, we're putting aside the ability to build up the local church. But we do see an amazing phenomenon take place after God scatters. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we see this. Then the church through Judea, Galatia, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. Now notice what he said. The church. Before there was only the Jerusalem church. Where did this, when did this happen? It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in number, living in the fear of the Lord. So who in the world planted all these churches? God did. God planted these churches. He used the Jerusalem refugees who were going out, but he used them to plant the churches along the way. Now remember what Jesus said. He told his disciples something very explicit. He said, upon this rock, referring to himself, I will what? I will build my church. Jesus is the church planter. He is the one that orchestrates all events in all of society in order for the church to move forward. He's the one that keeps things going. He uses you and I in the process. Now, before we step, on, step out into bigger steps of faith that we're going to see here, let's do an assessment. What we learn here is that those that stay, it equals church growth. Those that were in Jerusalem, there was an element of church growth that needed to happen there. But those that go, it equals church expansion. This is what God wanted to happen. He wanted both to take place. It wasn't one is good and one is bad. Both are absolutely necessary. Here's another way of looking at it. Some people stay and they become senders. They become senders of those that are going out. And a sender is going to be somebody that, A, is going to work hard for their gospel in their Jerusalem. They are still taking steps of faith in their Jerusalem. 
but they're also praying for those that have gone. Paul said, pray for me in Colossians chapter 4 as I had, uh, that the gospel, that the door would be open. And then we also financially support. Paul said in Philippians 4, thank you for your again, meeting my needs again and again by sending financial support to me. So Paul said this. And so we see that a sender is that. They're working hard, they're praying hard, and they're giving of their financial resources in order to support the ministry that's going on. We also know that some people are sent out. And it is a joy when somebody is sent out, they've taken all these tiny steps, and all of a sudden God says, I want you to go. Several years ago, I started sensing that. I was at Maranatha Bible Church. I was in very comfortable. I had a budget of $600,000 to administrate, to do for missions around the world. What an awesome thing. I was preaching 30 times a year. I had a beautiful building to be a part of. And I'm like, yes, this is it. And God says, um, Steve, go, go. Comfortable here. I like it. No, I want you to go. See, God never calls us to comfort. He calls us always to be on mission with Him, and that's what He wants. See, not everybody is going to be sent out, and not everybody's going to stay, but everybody will be a part of the process. Everybody will be a part. Now look at Acts 11. Turn your Bibles to Acts 11 to our primary passage. Acts 11 says this, verse 19. Acts 11, 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cy Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenistics also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Four observations I want to draw out in terms of the steps that they took. The first thing, first observation is that we see the fruit of them stepping forward. Remember the persecution happened in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8, and we see that they are all the way up to Antioch. Antioch was getting them north of Israel. It was in Asia Minor at that time, modern-day Turkey. And so we see that they, the gospel has advanced to this place. And it was people that had been scattered, the refugees that started to share Christ. But there was a problem. We see that the first group of people were only sharing Christ to the Jews. Why was that? It was an obstacle. It was something that they had to overcome. See, the Jews hated Gentiles. 
Some of you might say, well, why did they hate the Gentiles? Because they had a long history of being under subjugation to the Gentile rule. And they hated them for that. As far back as 721 B.C., there was a tribe called the the Assyrians that God sent out from Nineveh to go down to bring judgment on the ten northern tribes. And guess what? They decimated the people. They decimated the people, and they took away most of the people. And, but some of the Assyrians took the women. Their husbands were dead. They took the women as their own wives, and they started to make their own people group just north of Jerusalem. Guess what they became known as? The Samaritans. And so that's why they hated the Samaritans. Then after that, there was the Babylonian Empire. There was the Medo-Persian Empire. There was the Greek Empire. There was the Roman Empire. Constant subjugation, 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 subjugation. And they hated them for that. And so the Jews tended to lean towards only the Jews. Now, this is why they leaned towards the Old Testament model. Remember, a couple weeks ago, I said the old way was that everybody came to the temple. All the arrows were pointing to the temple. Other nations could come and hear about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is what the Jews said, okay, you can do that, but we hate you. But that's not God's design. In fact, we're told in the scriptures in Isaiah that the Jews were to be a light to the Gentiles that it may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When God was forming the nation of Israel in Genesis chapter 12, guess what God said to them? He says, I am going to make you a great nation so that you can be an end-all, be-all to yourself. Nope, didn't say that. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation so that all the ethnoses, all the nationalities of the earth would be blessed through you. That was God's design right from the beginning. Some of these Jews didn't get it. Fortunately, we have the next verse because some of them started to see past their prejudice and they started seeing past the, 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 their anger and their hatred to the people that were right there before them, the Gentiles. It says in verse 20, but there were some of them who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, this is Gentiles also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. These people started to understand that God wanted them to go forward. They got the great commission of going and make disciples of all nations. It started to hit them that they were the church. They, the physical body, were the church, and the church is to go out. We become the attractional aspect of the church in everyday life, as Pat Culpepper talked about last week. And we see this as the first fruit. Here's the second observation we see. We see that there was abundant, abundant gospel proclamation. We know this because both Jews and Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ in this passage. It was because that they were living out their life every day amongst the people and people were starting to take notice. It says in our passage that this is the first place that they were called Christians. Do you know what the word Christian means? It means of the party of Christ or little Christ's. 
And so these are people of Antioch that all of a sudden, they were the ones that were cutting corners. They were the ones cheating individuals. And all of a sudden, they've come to faith in Christ. And these people are excited about Jesus. They're starting to learn about Jesus. And it's changing their ethics. It's changing their values. And people are like, this guy's not cheating me anymore. What's going on here? Hey, Joe, what's going on with these guys? I mean, there's something different because they're with this, like, following this party of Jesus. They're like little Jesuses all over the place. Wouldn't that be an awesome honor for someone to say, man, you must be of the party of Christ. Not the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party, not the Independent Party, but the party of Jesus. And that's what was true of them. Here's a third observation. We see intentional equipping taking place. We see that Paul and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, were teaching for an entire year here. Two things. One, they had to be committed to learning in the context of the local church. Committed to learning in the context of the local church. See, both were a priority to them, that they would learn. And all of a sudden, these people that were busy with a bunch of other things now saw fit that it was their job to really be a student of Jesus Christ, and they were committed to the learning. Let me make an observation about our society. One of the obstacles, and it's a big one that we still have today, is that we are so busy. We are so busy. And what we have to evaluate is whether or not Jesus will help us to reevaluate our values and our schedule, which will be reflected in our schedules. The reality is we feel like our kids need to be in a lot of sports or they need to be in playing an instrument. Then academics is important. And as parents, we need to have a house that we can house everybody. And sometimes we buy the bigger house that we didn't need. And as a result, we have to work more hours to support that house and also the vacations and everything else that goes with it. And before we know it, we're in this cycle of busyness and community groups. Oh, I don't really have time for that church. Oh, maybe once in a while we'll make it to church. Or we got to ask ourselves, when will the values of Christ affect the way that we determine our schedules and not the other way around? They were faced with this reality. What set of values drive the schedules of our families? See, here's the point. God designed the church to help you, to equip you. To come alongside of you. And it also means that the local church is a priority. We also live in a day and age where people change churches like they change their clothing. It's okay, we can just go down the road. And that's not the design of the local church. Here's the fourth observation we make. The fourth observation is this. We see the church sending their best to do the work of missions. Flip over to chapter 13. Look at verses 1 to 3. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This is two years later, after the church got started in Antioch, we see the leadership team of five men that are in this church. It's a multicultural team. It says in verse 2, 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to do. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. Now what I love here is that God mixes it all up. Things are going on for this church, man. They are growing. They are busting at the seams. There is so much good. And all of a sudden, God says, psst, psst, psst. listen up. Here's what I want. I want you to send Barnabas and Paul out. And I can see the people in their flesh say, say what, God? Come on. What? These are our best. You're taking one-third of our leadership team, and you're sending them out to some other part of the world. But that wasn't their attitude at all. Yeah, Paul and Barnabas helped them get it started. They were the cream of the crop. They were the best that the church had. And God said, I want you to send the best. And what we see is this church thinks missionally. We think, see that this church thinks selflessly. They see that this isn't about their kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. And they take steps forward. And what we see develop is the Antioch church becomes the church sending church for three missions, uh, mission trips that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and his, his leaders would take over the next three years. 30 different cities are affected over 16 years. There are hundreds of churches that are planted, thousands of believers that, 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 uh, that come as a result of this. And we see that the landscape is changed with the gospel. All because they thought about not their kingdom, but God's kingdom. So this is it. This is the example that God has given us. So what should all of this look like for us? Maybe it looks like this. We've been married for, gosh, what, 12? 12 years. 12 years, and we've lived here in this lovely house in Circle C for eight. As we got to know the neighbors, like right off, we knew we were going to love getting to hang out here. There were just a lot of people that were very welcoming when we got here. Everybody was quick to come over and greet us. I think one thing that we're real sensitive to is how much we're leaving our neighborhood. So just being available, being here, being present, being willing to go out front and throw the football or, um, gosh, gardening or whatever it is that helps get outside and connect with the neighbor. We got this old school projector, and Brandon used his old school laptop, and we play play movies, and we just pull has it. Has it changed much? Is no, it like it new has. school? It's it's getting okay, good. Okay, it's good. So we would just play movies on our on our garage door, and all the all the kids would come. We'd say movie night, popcorn. It's so simple. During the movies, the kids will get sucked into the movie, and then the parents kind of back off and just sit around, kind of the it's perimeter, fun. and talk and get to know each other. It's just really. Yeah. Great. Lots of great memories, lots of great conversations. Brandon and I are pretty intense. We're pretty intentional. We come off strong sometimes, so we have to kind of, we're like, so, do you love Jesus? Do you go to church? Do you want to come to our Bible study? And they're kind of like, oh, you're crazy. We had one situation where a neighbor came over and, and was kind of caught off guard by some of the conversation topic, the directness about Christ, and, and kind of reminded her of, maybe church when she was a kid and it mm -hmm. kind of left a bad taste in her mouth. And it was a big mess up, like it just really was. And we were like, whoa, we did not, that didn't go the way we wanted it to and God still used it. Like he was still like, I'm bigger than this and I can 
still use something that was out of control or maybe messy. And it was the coolest thing when she came over one day after she had gone to church and she said, Becca, I get it. Like, I get it. And then it's been neat to kind of help walk, walk through her growth. And it's hard. It's hard, right? It's hard for me. And, and I, I think that's what I always remind her of. I'm growing too. So a lot of times we would spend so much time controlling conversations and making sure things would happen that we thought would, would foster, you know, a good environment. Actually, when it's when we backed off a little bit and realized we're not in control and the Holy Spirit is in control, there's a lot of relief for them and for us. And yeah. time and time again, he's just convinced us that we need to get out of the way a lot of times. I think one thing we have struggled with is feeling like, okay, we have to have it all together before we can let people in. And I think I would just encourage people, it's never going to be perfect. This has been our eight-year journey, and God has given us this gift and opportunity to really um, get to know our neighbors, and we've been willing and available, and that's how God's wired us, and we're so grateful for it, but we are still wrestling and figuring it out. God's humbling us on a regular basis. It, it's not easy. It's it's human beings. It's sin. It's brokenness. It's um, it, it's messy. When I think of Christ and what He's done for me, it, it actually helps me pursue my neighbors uh, in kind of an unconditional, relentless way, kind of like He pursues me every day. We really do feel called to view our neighborhood as a mission field. It's a place that is um, without Christ. People look different here than they do in other parts of the, the world, but they have the same needs, they have the same hurts, they have the same life struggles that I think the gospel applies to. My long-term vision is that everyone on this street is saved, mm -hmm. and I pray for it. I am praying for their salvation, and mm -hmm. I think God can do it. Like, I really, really do. It's kind of exciting just to talk about, because I'm like, he can do anything. When we started this series, I gave you an equation, and the equation has been progressive. I said that we have to have passion, and that starts with our intimacy with God. If God has got a hold of our hearts, He fuels us from within. That's our fuel. But then we went on to the next week and talked about the whole idea of unity. Unity is allowing the, the fuel to hit the, 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 the spark plugs and for the, all the cylinders, all the pistons to be running to propel us forward. We need both passion and we need unity. But what is the end result? Just so that the car could go, it's to go somewhere. It is to do something for God and there should be results. And the results is that we are stepping out in faith. And that's what God has called us to do. But notice what it said in the video. When we step out in faith, it's messy. Why is it messy? Because we're dealing with people that are all screwed up, completely messed up. This past week, Lee and I had dinner over at the Bezik house. And if you've ever had dinner at the Bezik house, you'll understand what I'm saying, that it's always an adventure at the Bezik home. We went through the tropics of their, of their, their chicken farm in the back. We learned about all the homeschool things that were going on. But we had an incredible time of just sharing stories. And Kim and Lance, they have five children. Their fifth child has Down syndrome, and so that has been a, quite an adventure for them as a family as well, and many open doors. 
But they have been a part of two major ministries, pregnancy solutions and services for those that are abortion-minded. And when they decide to have a child, they do parenting classes for them. It's a 12-week set of, and you get the people from all different kinds of backgrounds that they are working with. And they also work with Whitewood Village, which is on Sunday afternoon, we hold services at this, uh, at this it's a retirement place, but it's also an assistant living. And so they have those that they're working with there in all the issues. And as we sat and talked, they shared one story after st one story and about these steps of faith that they took. And as they took these steps of faith, they were recounting with great joy and hardship of the people that they worked with. There was difficult situations. But then as we were sitting there talking, it dawned on me. If they wouldn't have stepped out in faith, they wouldn't have these stories. They would have nothing at all. They might talk about their struggles with work. They might struggle to talk about their struggles with family. They might talk about things about themselves. But instead, what they had was joy in their heart because they stepped out. So what joy is in our heart? Who will be the missionary to all the other nursing homes in this area? Who will be a missionary to the business world? Who will be a missionary intentionally taking steps of faith to the school system? Who will be a missionary that will go to the soccer fields and be coaches and little leagues? Who will be the missionary to the truck drivers and to all the other facets that, Pastor, or that Pat Culpepper talked about last week? Who will do it? See, God has called you and I to step out in faith. So four things I want us to evaluate. Number one, are we being faithful in the going just as they were faithful? Are we being faithful in the going? We've challenged you just to take one small step, and that is to identify your core, your circle of responsibility, and to start praying for them. Will you take a small step of faith? Number two, we need to be faithful in gospel proclamation. Yes, it will be messy, but here's one small step that you can do. One small step that we can do. Have people over to your house for a meal. Study the gospels and how many times Jesus has people, he's at their house and he's eating with them. Just one small step. Will you take a small step of faith? Here's the number, number three. We need to be f faithful in being equipped. My friends, when we are committed to the local church and we are committed to learning, then God is going to help rearrange our values. He's just going to do that and our schedules. And we have to, one small step is reprioritize our values according to what he wants. And when we do, we will be committed to a, a learning group. In our community groups, we will be committed to giving. We might not be like Abner Yoder that Pat Culper Prepper talked about last week, who gives a million dollars a year, but we might say, I will give sacrificially in this way, or I will serve in this way. Will you take one small step of faith? And finally, we need to be faithful in sending. We will find that those that become invaluable assets in our ministry here will be the ones that we send to the other parts of the world. Maybe it's just another neighborhood. 
Maybe it's another city. Maybe it's another continent. Maybe it's another culture. But we will have the privilege of sending those out as a result of them taking many small steps. Will you take one small step of faith? Here's the deal. As we move forward in our third year of ministry, what it's going to take for us to grow, what it's going to take for us to advance God's kingdom is the body of Christ taking one small step. Are you with me? Is that what we're going to do as a church? Because here's our promise as leaders. This is our vision. This is what we want. As a, as a church, we will set, as leaders in faith, we will set the example of reaching into our own community. We will do things like feeding teachers. We will do things only to set the example. We'll do ministry trailers. We'll do that to set the example and to help you out and give you the tools to succeed. As a, as a leadership team, we will have a core personally. All the elders, all the deacons, you you can ask them at any time, what's your core? What, who are you reaching out to? We are the ones that will set the example. and We will do it in faith. That's our vision to do that. In faith as a leadership team, we will head out into new frontiers. We are not going to grow stagnant. We are going to go forward and we are going to proceed forward. I am excited that this year we are going to be entering into some partnerships with a ministry called IBAM where we are linking up a brand new business in third world cultures with a new church plant. I am excited that we're going to be a part of it. You'll hear more as we go along. That's our vision. That's what our commitment is. Our commitment as a leadership team is to make disciples, to help you grow deeper. That's why we've restructured the community group so discipleship can take place on a, in a better way. But hopefully this year we're going to see one-on-one -on -one mentoring happen with men-on-men, women-with-women. And we hope to tell you more about that this year. And finally, we are committed in faith to preach God's word without compromise. I don't care what the cultural issue is. We will take a stand on God's word, but in love, in love all the time. And we will preach God's word faithfully in season and out of season. And starting next week, we are starting a year's journey with the topic of faith. Because we believe that God wants us to step out in faith. We will be covering 1 Peter in the fall, between now and Christmas. We will cover between January and Easter, Hebrews 11. We will take a lot of time to examine all the heroes of the faith. And then we will go into the book of James. We have an exciting year of learning ahead of us. Will you step out in faith? As we sing this last song, it is a song that is filled with a rich lyrics, and it's exactly what we need. But what I want you to evaluate in this final song is, will you and what will that step of faith be for you?